Thank you. May be seated. How's everybody doing tonight? How many, uh, how many had a good week this week? Anybody have a good week this week? In Christ, it's all good. Hear that? Hear that? Did anybody have a hard week? Yeah. To be honest. Oh, yeah. Had a hard week? Anybody have some of both? Yes. You can have hard weeks and good weeks at the same time, right? So life's a lot of times like that. Um, in the, uh, sometimes in the moment of difficulty, we sometimes lose sight of the goodness all around us, of the goodness of the hope out in front of us and before us. Um, but uh, as we look into the Word today, we will see some good news and a good uh, message from John the Baptist. We'll also see some, some hard things that he sh um, preaches and shares. And, uh, but all in all, let's not lose sight of the good um, that is all framed within. Uh, we will be continuing our study in Luke. We'll be starting in Luke chapter 3, so if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it with you or your app or whatever you have. Um, then I invite you to, uh, I'll have on the screen as much as possible, but I'd love for you to join with me and uh, be in the Word. Hope you'll take some notes. Um, I think this is a, a great passage for us to study, and I'm thankful to be able to uh, preach on it this morning. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer again um, as we open His Word. God, we just uh, come to you thankful for your Word, thankful for this opportunity we have freedom we have to openly proclaim and to study and to preach and teach. And so, God, as I attempt to do so, would you just speak through me, Lord, that I become invisible and not my words, but your words spoken through me, Lord, to your people here today. And I uh, just pray that you would um, work in this time. Uh, we know that you're here with us as we work the Son, and we thank you for that truth and assurance. And uh, we just ask you to do a work in our hearts today, Lord, to make us more conform to the image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> So as uh, we have uh, continued to look at the gospel according to Luke, um, we are continuing to see uh, the, the faithfulness of Jesus, the faithful Savior for all people, and today will be no, no difference at all. Um, we're going to, our title, if you want to put one on it, would be Good News for the People. And uh, what we, um, let's just go ahead and jump into the text. Uh, I think we'll have the words on the screen. Uh, I would look around my head and see it, but uh, out of respect to the word, I would invite us to go, if you're able, to go ahead and stand with me and read with me. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, um, but I think we'll benefit from reading. At the beginning, there's a few uh, strange words and, and names and places. Just do the best you can, as will I, and uh, we'll get through it together, okay? So here are Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea, Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, 
who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And wait, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been approved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, Add this to them all, and he locked up John in the prison. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So, um, lengthy passage, but I think it's uh, something we can move through in a reasonable time frame today. Uh, it's interesting to me, I, I love Luke's account, because we see at the very beginning, he starts off rooting this account in reality. You know, it's not a once upon a time kind of thing. You know, we look and we see he went in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Now, we can get in the weeds with a lot of this stuff, so I'm not going to try, try to not make it a history lesson, but I do want to highlight some of these things. Caesar Augustus, of course, was in charge when um, Christ was born. Um, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus and all the world will be taxed. So he's been replaced now. Tiberius Caesar been reigning for 15 years. Pontius Pilate is kind of the governor over this area. And then under him are um, some local leaders, Herod. This is not Herod of the wise men, Herod. That was Herod the Great. This is Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, and his other son, Philip, and his other son, Lysanias. Um, so when Herod the Great, who was kind of over all this area, when he died, he said, well, I'm going to appoint each of my sons to a little area. Um, and so that's who these people are. So Herod and Philip, of course, are brothers, who we hear about a little bit later. Um, Lysanias is there. And uh, so we see, you know, a lot of these details and exact dates and everything is lost somewhat to us in the annals of history um, as far as you know, corroborating facts and statements about these things. Um, but when Luke was writing this, he was confident that everything, all these things would be previously verified. And so he was not afraid to put down concrete, well-known um, facts about the world in which he lived because he's like, this is a factual account. So this is just another com uh, confirmation that we should take it as such. Not a myth, um, not again, not a once upon a time fairy tale, but something that's rooted in reality. 
Um, we also uh, see here that uh, um, they, he talks about during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So these are the Jewish priesthood. And how many high priests did they have? One. They had one high priest. So why does he list two? What in the world? Okay, quickly just to clarify this, because people say, well, there's an error in the Bible. It's not. Um, history tells us that Annas was the high priest for a long time, but the Roman government didn't really like him, so they replaced him with Caiaphas. So um, Caiaphas was the official um, recognized high priest. But a lot of the Jewish leaders, Jewish people still look to Annas for high priest. Um, and I'm sure no one can ever imagine such a scenario. Man, I'm sure if they had Twitter back then, there would have been hashtag not my high priest and things like that. But uh, uh, we can never imagine anything of conflict of who's really in charge. But that's the reality that they lived with. Um, the other thing that I like about um, Luke's presentation here reminds us that while the Bible is not a history textbook, the Bible is not a science textbook, it's not an anthropology textbook, Okay, it's much more than that. It's God's revelation of Himself. But the Bible is true in all of its statements. And so when it speaks to history, it's true. When it speaks to science, it's true. When it speaks to any area and intersects with these other areas of study, the Bible is true. And this presents some challenges because they'll say, well, what about when they conflict? Well, we as fallible human scientists are probably just not really understanding everything and lining up with Scripture. So, I understand that's a somewhat controversial position, but as I have you know, looked and studied many of these things, I've found it to be consistently true. So, I've found it to be experientially and, and um, factually true, but also we take it by faith. Okay? So, when there are times that you know, things in the world around us may not line up with the teaching of Scripture, who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to stand on? Scripture. That's where we need to take our stand. Okay? And there are the things, well, listen, I understand that you say this, that, or the other. You know? Um, but the fact is, this is what the Bible says, and this is what I believe. And so I'm going to stand on the truth of that. And maybe a whole sermon series on that in and of itself, but I just want to mention that as we're here looking at these factual statements that uh, I just want to affirm that the Bible is true in all of the areas in which it speaks to. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so, we see here that as this, uh, in this time frame, you know, uh, uh, set by Luke, we see that something unusual happened. The Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay? Barring the uh, recent visits of the angels, um, this is really the first prophetic Word of God in 400 years. Okay? And it comes to this man, John. Okay? He's probably about 30 years old, we think. Who was his dad? Zachary. And what did he do? What was his job, remember? He was a priest. That's right. What did um, sons of priests typically do for a living? They became priests. That's exactly what it was. Jewish tribe. It was very much a caste type. If you're in the tribe of Levi, your dad was a priest, you were going to be a priest. Just, just don't even consider anything else. Just plan on it. You're going to be serving in the temple. You're going to be training, you're going to be, that's where you're going to be. So John is very uh, sort of outside the norm. Uh, we see some other, his, his uh, attire was outside the norm from other accounts. We see his diet was outside the norm of other, you know, from other people. Um, but what we see is that God had really set him aside for this work. Okay? And so in the right time, okay, 
The word of God came to him. First prophetic word in 400 years came to this sort of wilderness man. Um, does anybody, does, does this, the name Grizzly Adams have any meaning for anybody in this room anymore? If I say Grizzly Adams, anybody, two people, three, okay. Bear Grylls. What? Bear Grylls. No, he's a phony. He's a phony I'm just saying, he's a phony. Grizzly Adams is the original. We know Grizzly Adams. If you know, you know. If not, there's Google. So, uh, uh, but he was, uh, he was a man who's definitely outside of where anybody was looking for a prophetic word to come. They're probably looking for it to come through the temple, through the high priest, something like this. And so for to come, this man named John, he was completely outside that. And I think it's by design. Um, but the thing I want us to focus on here is that when the word of God came to John, we don't know if it was in a dream or by an angel. We, we don't know. We just know that he, uh, he received it as such and affirmed it as such. And then he obeyed it. He acted on it. Um, you know, if the Word of God ever comes to us, we should receive it and we should obey it. Does the Word of God ever come to us? Yeah. Hopefully every day, multiple times. You know, they're um, seeing Jesus together in Bible reading plan. As we gather um, for our um, corporate gatherings, as we encourage each other in our time of family worship, these times, hopefully the Word of God is on our lips and in our minds every single day. And as such, we need to receive it as such and obey it as such. Um, so, what did the Word say? Okay, all this time, 400 years, what does the Word come? We see in verse 3 that he acted on it. He acted on it. So he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this was his message. You know, he was uh, in the Jordan River, um, baptizing, calling people to repent for the forgiveness of sins, and the uh, outward side of that was going to be baptism by John. Okay? Now, this is not New Testament baptism that we do in obedience and in following Christ's example and in uh, re uh, remembering and representing of His death, burial, and resurrection. This is more akin to Old Testament baptism, which was not a foreign concept. Baptisms did take place, but generally it was... Does anybody know um, what Old Testament baptism was? It was... It was a kind of a ritual for Gentiles who wanted to be adopted into the Jewish nation. Uh, circumcision and then baptism was something they would have to um, typically go under. So it wasn't unheard of, but it was, certainly wasn't something the Jews were going to want to do. Because that was something the Gentiles did, to be like us. It's now for Jews to come and submit themselves and to say, no, they're publicly affirming that, you know, I need to be right with God. I need to repent. I need to be cleansed. This ceremonial cleansing um, was this sign of baptism. The washing of the water that says, listen, I recognize that I am not right before God at some level, and I want to repent of that and be forgiven of these sins. So this was his message. Um, still a pretty good message for today. Um, repent and be, and be saved. Um, we are told in verse 4 that this was the fulfillment in Isaiah when he said that there would be one coming, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This was the fulfillment of that. So John's message is, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Um, the idea is that when someone, a ruler, a king, a, the, the Lord, when He's coming, you want to have your house in order. You want to be ready to receive him. I know I used to work, I worked for many years at CVS. Anybody ever work in a corporate job where you get corporate visits? Anybody ever do that where you get the corporate big wigs come into town? 
Now me, I never really understood because they tell us two weeks ahead of time. Hey, the big week's coming. The big week's coming. Okay. So now you got to, you know, in order, in addition to all your old work, you got to clean up everything, and everything's got to look perfect. Everybody's got to be dressed perfect. You got to have your jacket pressed. You got to have your neck. Everything's got to be perfect. So when they come in, they think that's what it's like all the time. You know, I never. To me, it seemed like if I was going to run, I'd just walk in one day and say, "Hey, so this is how we normally look." We got some work to do. But no, 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 they tell you ahead of time. You know, so they can say, yeah, see how good our story is, see how good. I, I anyway, I guess there's a value in that that I don't understand. But this is kind of the idea, you know, that um, when someone's coming to you, make everything smooth and easy. You know, you, want, you don't want somebody falling up the stairs when they're supposed to be the president or, you know, something like that. <laughs> you want to have a nice, easy path for them so that everything is smooth and you're ready to receive them. So this is kind of the idea, but it's in our hearts. Preparing the way of the Lord in our hearts, making paths straight for Him. And then what's going to happen? Verse 5 echoes to the words of Isaiah. Every valley will be filled, mountain and hill made low. All these things. These are things, get ready because one is coming who's going to do things that you can't do. Can we fill in every valley? Can we uh, flatten every mountain? No. Can we smooth all the rough places and straighten all the crooked ways? No. Because there's nobody that's coming who can't. So you do, you do what you can to get ready. Because he's going to come and do more than we can even ask or think. So this is the fulfillment of that passage. And um, this is really the, the, the first point of the good news. We have three points of good news for the people. And this one is repent. Now when you think of good news, is that the first thing that comes to mind? Good news. Oh yeah, repent. That's, that's, that's not all we think of as good news. But I'm here to tell you today, if you're hearing the call to repent, that is good news. Why? Because if you need to repent, number one, you're guilty. Okay? And if you're getting the call to repent, number two is God is still giving you time. God is still making room for you. He is staving off His justice. Because if we're guilty, what's the penalty for our sin? Death. So it's a mercy. It's good news that today is the day of salvation. Repent, forsake your sin, turn to Jesus, and you will receive forgiveness and healing. That's good news, brothers and sisters. That is good news. So we don't have to think of repent. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. You know, we're kind of comfortable doing what we're doing. And the Bible calls us out on things. And suddenly we're like, oh, I don't that's, I don't have to make some changes, and nobody likes change, and I kind of like some of these things. And I good news is. Today could be the day of salvation. God's calling you today to repent. If the Holy Spirit reveals areas of your life that are not in conformity with Scripture, good news, today you can repent. You can forsake those things in turn. Now what does repent mean? Somebody under 12, what does repent mean? Anybody? Repent. Anybody know? Anybody? Nobody. Nobody. Roman, do you know what repent means? That's exactly what it means. To turn around. All right? To turn away from. That's exactly what it means. Now, when I was Romans 8, I thought repent meant to be sorry. Anybody ever have that idea of repent? Oh, I'm sorry for my sin. Yeah. Um, the thing is, repent is an action, not a feeling. Okay? It's an action. Turning away, not a feeling of feeling sad. Um, let, let me give you a couple of illustrations. Um, you have. If, if you have siblings, you're an older sibling or a younger sibling, um, then you may have had an experience, or even if you're a parent, sometimes your, your kids will treat you this way. 
in which the younger person will sometimes just want to poke the bear. Everybody know anyone say poke the bear? Just irritate. Whether it's say something, whether it's actually poking or picking, just just irritate the older sibling or the parent. Or the wife. <laughs> He's telling on himself that I would sometimes poke the wife. Okay, so he's saying that he is the one poking the bear. So, okay. Um, he's not saying that she's irritating to him. Look at that. Look at that. It's not poking him, so. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, and so what? The older one, the other, whoever go, okay, okay, stop. Okay, stop. Okay, stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And finally, what happens? They cross the line, the gets up, and they come at him, and then what does the offender do? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. They have clearly repented, right? Clearly they repented. Have they repented? No. Temporarily. And oftentimes, no longer than it takes for the parent to sit back down. Like, oh, there was no repentance going on there. That was that was pure. That was, that was purely sorrow. You know, fear. That's all that was. A um, little bit of sorrow, but the imminent retribution coming at him. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sometimes we call it cookie jar contrition. You know, get caught right in the act, hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. What are you doing? I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. You're sorry you got caught. You're sorry you got caught. You're not sorry for what you did. You're not repenting from your action. You're going to be sneakier next time. Right? You have to be more careful. Mom! Not repentance. Foxhole conversions. Have you ever heard of those? Yeah. You know, you know, somebody's in a desperate situation, life or death situation. God, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll give you all my money. I'll sell my stuff. I'm going to follow you forever. Just, just get me out of this. This is a desperate attempt to curry favor. It's not repentance. So we have a lot of things which we think are repentance, but repentance is never rooted in fear or it doesn't result in a temporary behavior modification. Not, oh, I'm sorry you're angry. Oh, I'm sorry I got caught. Oh, but I need to, I, I need to somehow get extra favor in this time of need. That's not repentance. Repentance is when you say, I am wrong, and I am going to forsake this. Now, sometimes God may use harsh circumstances. conversions. Those can happen. Okay. Um, sometimes God will use the imminent threat of retribution. God can use those. Okay? Sometimes God can use public humiliation. Okay? Sometimes God will use these things to break us to the point where we come to our senses in a sense. Okay? So John is calling for repentance. But he's quick to call out any kind of false repentance. How do you know what the difference is? If you're in a bad spot and you're like, man, I need to turn to Jesus. That's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to do. How do we know then if it's genuine or if it's just self-serving? 
time. Take time. John calls us out. He's going to give us the answer to this. In verse 7, he looks out at the crowd, and the account in the other gospel says he specifically sees the Sadducees and Pharisees coming to him. These are people who are religious, who are doing everything they can on the surface to win God's favor. Okay? And so he sees them coming, and he doubts their sincerity. And so he doesn't call them out individually. I noticed that here in Luke's account, he says to the crowds. Because he doesn't, he thinks, you know, sure, there are some servants, um, snakes, snake in the grass, brood of vipers, as he calls them here, who are here under false pretenses. But he doesn't think it's only the Sadducees and Pharisees. So he lets the message fly to You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Essentially, why are you here? Did somebody tell you that if you didn't come to John, come down to Jordan, get back, that God was going to be mad at you? Or are you here out of a heart of repentance? He calls them out on it. And we have to remember the Bible reveals to us that while man looks on the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Coming to John was a good thing. Coming and getting baptized was demonstrating a heart of repentance. But we can only see the outside. We can only see that. And a religious ritual, even baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, wasn't going to do anything for anybody unless it was an indicator and an outward display of something that had taken place in the heart. So the good news for people, number two, is after you repent, you need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's how you tell. Okay? Do we have any uh, arborists in here? If you don't know what it is, you're not one. Okay, good. <laughs> Arborist is a tree expert. Okay? Um, <clears throat> Arbor Day. We just plant trees and stuff like that. Barring some arborists, I get bad if I had, you know, six pieces of bark up here from six different trees, I could probably hold it up and say, hey, which one of these is an apple tree? Nobody knows, right? I could hold up a, something from a... Um, Peach tree. What's this from? Nobody knows. It's a tree. That's about all we would know. But if I had the fruit sitting up here, saying, hey, what tree did this come from? And hell of an apple. Everybody knows I came from an apple tree. Because you know about its fruit. So that's what he's saying. That's what he's calling out for people here to um, verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Alright? Um, the uh, <clears throat> I don't just gloss over this. Because sometimes it's easy to kind of hear these things and we talk about church years. Oh yeah, that's good stuff, Carl. Oh, yeah, that's good But I'd turn that question on y'all today. Not in such a harsh language, but why are you here today? Are you here checking a box? Oh, it's church time. We better get there. They'll be adding it. Ryan and Carl will be asking where we're at. We better go. Or are you here because you, you want to be here? Because you want to be with God's people. You'll be worshiping God corporately. Why are you here? You know, sometimes our attempts at devotion, our actions at devotion can become rote, almost transactional. Oh, I better read today or God won't bless me. I better pray, otherwise, you know. I better go to church, otherwise something bad's going to happen. Transactional religion. If you feel that today, I call you. Confess that. Repent. Don't stop doing those things. Those things are still good things to do. But I want you to check your heart. Because while we are glad you're here, we can only see the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. 
And those who were worshiping him, you know, could still their hearts could still be far from him. He had no words of love for those people. He had a call to repent for those people. So I echo that for you today. If you're here today and you're just like, man, I'm just I'm here, but my heart's far from God. Confess that. Repent. Turn back to him. God is a God of love and mercy. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> we uh, continue to see as he continues though in verse 8. He calls them to bear fruits and keep in repentance. He says, do not begin to say to yourselves, oh we have Abraham as our father. Okay. These were Israelites, direct descendants of Abraham. Had God made promises to Abraham? He had. He had made wonderful promises to Abraham and to his descendants. And so John is calling them out saying, don't rest on, don't presume upon God's mercies. Don't presume upon God's promises. Okay? God's promises will be fulfilled. Okay? But God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Okay? God's not obligated to fulfill His promises through you individually. He can, raise, he can fulfill His promises through these stones if He desired. Now, I like to understand this in the sense that he's also speaking of the Jewish people there and including the Gentiles, these hearts of stone. He's able to raise up children of Abraham. As we have been grafted in in the New Testament to become spiritual children of Abraham, I, I like to see the foreshadowing there. It might be straining the text just a hair, but uh, the point certainly is that they should not rest upon that you know, uh, heritage. They should not presume upon God's um, promises made to them. And I'll say the same thing to us, you know, today, that God has given us promises in the Bible that we can stand on, but those promises are not there for us to presume upon. You know, there are those who would, you know, preach a, a hyper-grace that goes beyond God's grace and says, you know, live however you want, because God's going to forgive it all anyway. God's grace knows no bounds, but the message of John here is bear fruits in keeping with repentance. The idea is that if you're not bearing those fruits, then that's a problem at the root. Okay, if you're not bearing the fruits of the Spirit, that's because you're not grounded in the Spirit. And so I'm not going to say God can't forgive those sins. He can. And He will. When we repent. But if we embrace those sins and love them and, and keep continue to live in those, that is the attitude of an unsaved person. Someone who has been converted. Someone who is a follower of Jesus is not going to want to do those things. Now, I recognize the tension. Even Paul in his New Testament writings recognized the tension that we still have. We're still in these bodies of flesh. We still have you know, tendencies towards sin. But there's this conflict. We should also have this desire for righteousness. Amen? We should have this desire to please God. He's done so much for us. We want to please Him. Not that we have to to earn it, but we want to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Verse 9, he, he gets really clear on this. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this is some harsh language. We need to understand that it's true. Every tree, you know, speaking, you know, euphemistically, um, every, every tree in the metaphorical language of each person, they're going to fulfill God's purpose and plan. 
either by bearing fruit and giving honor to the grace of God and the mercy of God, or by becoming fuel to give honor to the, the justice of God. Say that again. Either we will fulfill God's plan by bearing fruit and giving honor to God's grace, or we will fulfill God's plan by becoming fuel to the honor of His justice. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's just don't just read past that. Let's understand the severity of that statement. It's severe. It's true. Now, come to verse 10, and we see that uh, the crowd has a response. Okay? And they're like, okay, 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 we're going to bear fruits for repentance. We don't want to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what do we do? Okay? And uh, he's like, all right, well, listen. First off, and I'm going to go through and read it all again, take a time. But he has kind of three categories. And the first one we see, you should have generosity and compassion. Okay? Um, if you have two tunics, you should share with him who has none. If you have two coats, you know, extra clothes, you should share. That's all that going on tonight. Somebody gave somebody a bag of clothes and said, here, we had extra, we outgrown them, somebody else can use them. I don't remember who that was, but that's great. Whoever has food is to do likewise. The principle here is generosity and compassion. You're not holding on to what you've got, and you're willing to share, and you see the needs around you, and are moved with compassion to, to meet those needs. Okay? Um, and specifically, the tax collectors. Okay? Tax collectors have always had a bad rap. No different today. <laughs> but they were a little more corrupt, I think, back then. Um, basically, they, uh, the taxing process was sort of handled by Rome and by proxy. And in a different area, people would bid to um, become the tax collector. And you could bid whatever. And so whatever you bid is what you had to pay Rome. And anything extra you collected is what you kept. Okay? And uh, so they were known for being very, very crooked. Okay? Um, not honest. You know, because nobody knew what those bids were. Okay? So he was just going to say, now look, Alexa, how much, how much you got? Okay, I need all the $10 of that. Wow. Well, that, that's what Rome says. But they she didn't know what Rome said. It wasn't published. There was no IRS code you could go look at. It was just he, was, he had the official seal of Rome, and so he could start whatever he wanted, essentially. Um, pretty crooked, and so John calls them out. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Honesty and fairness. Honest, treat people fairly, and be honest in your dealings with people. These are hard lessons, aren't they? These are really deep. Kind of remind me of like everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten. You know, <laughs> these things are pretty basic. The soldiers, well, what are we supposed to do? Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Be content with your wages. Integrity and commitment. You know, these are the things. You know, not not hard. Basically, you know, other people could have asked other questions. And in fact, in verse 18, it says, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. So I'm sure there were many other questions that came up. But I know what he said. Basically, you could fall under love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sure that's what it was. But that's what we see. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus taught. Specifically, he spoke against the sort of natural tendencies of their hearts. Called them to live as Jesus Christ would live. 
Now we have the Holy, we have the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, but we need to ask that question as we come to the Scriptures this morning or this afternoon, and as we come to them on a daily basis. We should always come to them with, "How do I need to respond to what I'm being, what I'm, what I'm being told, what I'm reading, what I'm hearing? What do we need to do? What do I need to do?" I don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you in those moments, but He'll have answers for you. Because the Bible is an instructive book, and not one not that we just read and then put back on the shelf, but one we should read and allow it to change and act on it. As John the Baptist acted on the word that came to him, as I said earlier, as the word comes to us, we need to act on it. These, these are the fruits of repentance. This, this is it. All these types of things that live with people in these ways, to follow the teaching of Jesus. This is what we are looking to see in our lives, these evidences. And as we come to Scripture and we see things that don't line up, those are the things we need to confess and repent of. <clears throat> so, in verse 15, all the people realize something different about this guy's teaching. He's not teaching kind of like the uh, guy back at the temple. And so they were in expectation, verse 15 says, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Now, I've got to be honest with you. John the Baptist had many reasons to be proud. Okay? I mean, from the very, very beginning, he had a miraculous birth. Right? Everybody's been talking about his whole life, I'm sure. Wow, you're so special. Man, God's got something special planned for you, I know, because you were born, you know, amazingly a miraculous birth. He, uh, had a death destiny that was prophesied. Uh, he was personally received this word of God, the first prophetic word in 400 years. Obviously, he was a powerful preacher. He had people coming out flocking to him. He had a huge following. Many reasons that John could have felt pride. Do we see any evidence of John acting on that? No, because in verse 16, when they were wondering in their hearts whether or not he could be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. So he's like, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm really good, but it's somebody even better. No. This one is so much better than I. He who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So one commentary talked about this that said that Jewish tradition said that a rabbi, a teacher, could basically have his followers do pretty much anything for, for them except he couldn't require them to remove their shoes. That was just something for slaves, Gentiles. That was just a step too far. Jewish te teaching would not allow you to request that of anyone. And so John is sitting here saying, listen, he's so much further than I, he's so much above me that I'm not even worthy to do the thing I wouldn't be allowed for him to ask me to do. I'm not even worthy to do that. So he's, he's embracing this humble spirit that we should as well. He is not giving place to the potential pride that he could have felt from all these people saying, oh, are you Jesus? Are you the Messiah? Oh my God. He didn't, he didn't allow himself to give place to that. He shut that down hard said, no, I am not even worthy to un untie the shoes of the, of the one who's coming after me, of the Messiah who is coming. He will I baptize with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into His barn, but the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. Um, this biblical language throughout, uh, we've seen numerous times uh, revisited, uh, the wheat and the chaff, the wheat 
Um, plants grow and they're the kernels of wheat that are good and useful and the stalk and the chaff, all the other stuff is useless, but it's got to be separated. It's very intensive because the kernels are very small, but they're heavy compared to the other stuff. So they take these uh, winnowing fork and they go down to the winnowing floor. They beat them to separate them and then they throw it up in the air and they'll pick up the, on a windy day, they'll take, and they'll take a fork and they'll throw stuff up in the air and the, the light, the stalks, the chaff, the dry things blow away and the heavier wheat fall back down. So you keep repeating this process and they naturally separate themselves out. And so Jesus is coming to separate the wheat and the chaff. And so the biblical um, analogy to that physical process is that the wheat are those who are God's people and the chaff are those who reject Christ. And so he will gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So here another is another warning, a foreshadowing of a warning um, to identify yourself as one of God's people. To follow Jesus and be gathered into Him, come to Him and be close to Him. Do not be uh, distant from Him. Do not be driven away by the winds of this world, as the chaff would be, because the chaff is destined for unquenchable fire. It's so Verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Again, all these things he said, some of them were hard teachings, okay? some of them were not received well, but he was faithful and the Bible says that they were all good news. Okay? All this may be hard to hear, but it's all good news. Again, why? Because today can be the day of salvation. If we're hearing it, then God is extending mercy to us today. So our response is to obey, um, to follow the teaching, to um, hear and receive and act. <clears throat> we um, are going to wind up with sort of a uh, odd place to end up, but it's where the text leaves us. Um, this good news, this good news is for us and for those around us. Okay. So first I want us to hear it as good news for us, that the call to repent the call to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And the good news that Jesus is coming. Those are all good news for us. And so I want us to hear those words individually for yourself. Okay? It's not the time to say, oh yeah, repent. Nudge your spouse and say, hope you're listening. Okay? This is the time for you to hear it yourself. And to, to take in this and to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal areas that you need to repent from. It's also good news for everyone else. Okay? As we continue as a church to work out and to live out the Great Commission, the going part and the proclaiming of the Word, um, we'll have mixed response. The wheat will hear and will be gathered in, and the chaff will hear and will run away. But in our last two verses, we see that John even had some other responses as well. And in verse 19, it talks about that Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John, him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had, Herod had done, he added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. So, here we see that John wasn't just camped out on the Jordan River preaching platitudes. Okay? That's not what we're called to do. I'm not just called to stand here, you know, and, and preach general, general things. 
we see that John specifically called out the ruler of the area over his taking of his brother's wife. Okay? Ultimately, the scriptures tell us that it resulted in his death. But John was not able or willing to let that go. So when we see sin that is obvious, right before our eyes, we need to call that out. Not in a hateful way, not in a um, way that is going to be sinning on our own part as well, but in a way that calls them to repent. And say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is a path to destruction. You can turn away. I've got good news for you. You don't have to continue down this path. I've got good news for you. You can turn away. That message will not always be met with rainbows and unicorns. Okay? John got locked up over it. Okay? Um, there will be times that you will lose relationships over it. You may lose a job over it. You may have a promotion. You may get locked up. I don't know what may happen. But I know that the point of this is not for bad things that happen to us. The point of us being told to do this is ultimately for God's people to be reconciled to Himself. So when we have, are in, put in a place that we see sin, our responsibility is to call it out in love, in the expectation that God will reveal that, use our, our message of repentance to correct that brother or sister. And if we don't, who will? So, so that's the point of it, is that we are reaching out to the brother and sister in love. And honestly, the first place that starts is with our kids. Yeah, I remember um, uh, Paul Tripp said many years ago, uh, I saw him in a video, and he said, it is a grace of God and a blessing when you find your kids doing wrong. It's not a frustration. It's not an annoyance. It is a mercy of God that now you were in a place to correct your child and to turn them back to God. The flip side of that is, if we don't, if we are derelict as parents and allow them to continue in that sin, then we are not fulfilling our duties. We are not being good parents. We are not acting in love towards our children. Okay? So when we see those things, children, when your parents are correcting you, they're doing what the Bible tells them to do. So when they are speaking to you and they are correcting you according to the Scriptures, your job is to hear them and to obey them. It's a team effort. Right? It's a team effort. We're working together. And God uses parents and God uses children. He uses children to sanctify the parents. That's another lesson. But uh, um, He uses us all working together. Okay? In order to bring about His plan and His purpose. But... This good news, it is for us. It is for everyone. And I just challenge this even this week. Men, we're going to go out tomorrow night. I hope you're here with us. We're going to go out. We're going to spread, share the good news. We're expecting that God is going to bring some wheat in to Himself. And that He may reveal some chaff along the way as well. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to be out there. Um, as you go to work this week. As you're in your home this week. I encourage us. Remember this good news. Proclaim it where you go. Repent, 
Bring forth fruits of repentance. Jesus. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you again for this um, text, for this message um, that was preached 2,000 years ago, but it's still so applicable today. And so we thank you for this time that we have even today uh, to hear and to see areas we need corrected. Um, we thank you for this opportunity to repent. We pray for those, those here today who don't know you, that they would recognize today can be the day of salvation. And they can come and repent of their sins and turn to you and be saved today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.